Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and in this podcast we'll be discussing the life of Ecuadorian missionary Clarence Jones. We'll be looking at part two of his life. Now, a quick review, he grew up in the Salvation Army. He played actively in the band from the time he was a little kid. The Lord gave Clarence undoubtedly a tremendous gift in music, uh, and he was not only a good musician, but he also proved to be a good songwriter. Now, the Lord used Clarence's love of music to get him into a church where he responded to the Lord's dealing with his heart. So he was born again as a teenager. Uh, he had dropped out of he had dropped out of school around the age of sixteen, uh, simply because he wasn't interested in attending school any longer. But after he was born again, he wanted to be of service to the Lord, and he felt like he needed to get some more education. So Clarence attended Moody Bible Institute. Now. After that, after he graduated, he was able to find work, uh, a major part of it, with American evangelist Paul Rader. In fact, um, he was able to help Paul Rader establish his radio ministry. Uh, Clarence was put in charge of programming and getting the people together and getting things scheduled and organized. And during this process, he learned a tremendous amount about radio. Well, um, later on, after he had married, the Lord spoke to him very distinctly that he was to take radio and go south with it. So he tried to, as we discussed in the last podcast, find a South American country that was interested in setting up a radio station. And it seemed like all the doors were closing and everything was just going against that, even though Paul, I'm sorry, Clarence knew that this was what the Lord had put in his heart. And then suddenly an opportunity opened up. He ran into some missionaries to Ecuador that were interested in radio also and knew that the Ecuadorian government was open to having a radio station, even if it was established by a missionary group. And so that's where we will pick off, pick up, excuse me, in this podcast. So things were going well as far as getting a station established in Ecuador. Now the Ecuadorian call letters were HC, so they needed to establish the uh, call letters for their station. They chose HCJB, which in Spanish stood for Today Jesus Christ Blesses. Now, in the U.S., they uh, had it represent Heralding Christ Jesus Blessings. So the paperwork was filed with the appropriate government officials, and one of the supporters of the radio program worked for the president of Ecuador and made sure that the correct paperwork kept floating to the top of the president's literal inbox. And so then it was time for Clarence to return to the U.S. and return to his work with Paul Rader. Now, whenever we try to accomplish something for the Lord, we have to expect that the devil is going to fight us. He is, if he can't stop us, he'll try to take all the heart out of us and discourage us. And that's what happened to uh, Clarence. So he returned to the U.S. and found out that his employment with Paul Rader in the Gospel Tabernacle in Chicago had been terminated. He had been fired in his absence. Someone else now had his job. And to make matters even worse, uh, the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle sent 
Clarence a bill for $2,000 for money he had used for his passage to Ecuador and to support his family while he was away. And then he also owed another missionary, Reuben Larson, $600 for his passage home. So he comes home, he finds he's lost his job, he's $2,600 in debt, and he's terribly hurt that, that Paul Rader would let him be fired. Now, he went and spoke personally with Paul Rader to find out what had happened. And Paul said the firing, firing sorry, the foreign, that, that's where my uh, Texas accent is coming out, the foreign. The firing was the work of a church missions director that had been appointed. And uh, Paul Rader said he really had nothing to do with it. And he couldn't just reinstate Clarence because he didn't want to fight against the new uh, the new people he had hired. Which, I'm sorry, I think it sounds like a really flimsy excuse. But that's just my opinion. But uh, it hurt uh, it hurt Clarence. It hurt Clarence deeply that he had gone above and beyond in his work for Paul. No matter how much new work Paul Rader put on him, Clarence just kept trucking along, giving up his uh, life, his free time, his energy, and all of that, and just to be kicked out and sent a bill. And that's something else that sadly does happen an awful lot in Christian circles. But it's important that we do like Clarence and we don't let that cause us to lose faith in God. The peop- It's the people that do those things to us. It's not God. And Christians are going to disappoint us. If a person is a human being, if it's anybody other than Jesus Christ, they will disappoint us inevitably. Jesus is the only one that is perfect. Jesus is the only one that will not disappoint us. And so we have to keep that in mind and not hold the Lord accountable for the wrongs that have been done to us by professing Christians. But moving on, uh, Paul also told Clarence that he didn't want to interfere in this issue of the $2,000 uh, bill that he had received that he owed to the Chicago Tabernacle. Again, that just seems rude. It seems wrong, but we'll see that the Lord apparently deals with Paul Rader's heart, and he does have a change of heart. But for the time being, it looks like like Clarence has been kicked to the curb. So Clarence struggled with these things, and he said a scripture kept coming to his mind. So he was struggling with it, and that's okay. But he was still had his heart open toward the Lord, for the Lord to help him, for the Lord to direct and guide him. And that's something that we need to do too when we are struggling with issues when we are struggling with what has been done to us we need to keep our heart open toward the lord and the lord spoke to him and he quote in the scripture that came to clarence was jeremiah 33 3 call unto me and i will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things so at this time when it seemed that the organized church, at least, had basically kicked Clarence to the curb. The Lord had done no such thing. And it wasn't long before someone contacted Clarence that needed his radio skills. Clarence had become well-known in Christian circles for working with Paul Rader's radio ministry. And so the Lord supplied Clarence with a job. And it was in something he loved. It was in radio. And the minister that hired him 
His name was Dr. Gerald Winrod, and he wanted Clarence to help him get a radio ministry started and found a new church. And he made a deal with Clarence. In addition, of course, to paying, paying Clarence a wage, he said, I will help you figure out the fundraising and how to do the fundraising for your Ecuadorian mission. And so the Lord was not only providing him with a job, but providing him with the knowledge he needed to raise funds. And during this time, the Lord spoke to Clarence again. And using the word of God, he gave Clarence a blueprint of what he wanted to see accomplished with the radio station in Ecuador. And mind you, they didn't even have a radio station yet. They were just getting everything processed and getting the pieces together. But the Lord gave him the blueprint. It came from Acts 1.8, and it was when the Lord was sending the people forth with the gospel message. And he said that they were to take it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And for Clarence, in Ecuador, that meant they were to start with just trying to get the radio station to reach the limits of the city. That was phase one. Phase two, getting the radio station powerful enough to reach all of Ecuador. Phase three, getting the radio station powerful enough to reach Central and South America. And then came phase four, which to the natural man looked utterly impossible, getting the radio station to the point where it could reach out to the entire world. And believe it or not, that is exactly what happened and the order, of course, in which it happened. Each one of these phases, each one of these stages was successfully completed, all starting with a little station in Quito, Ecuador. Now, things are about to turn around a little bit more for Clarence. Instead of lashing out and attacking the church that had harmed him, instead of turning his back on the Lord, instead of refusing to do Christian work anymore, he had cooperated with the Lord, he had sought the Lord, and remember the $2,000 bill that he received that said he owed the church that much money? Well, somebody left a missions legacy for the Chicago Tabernacle. And it was used to wipe out Clarence's debt. And so it sounds like there had been a change of heart there because they easily could have applied that missions legacy to something else. But it was applied toward Clarence's debt. He no longer had that $2,000 debt hanging over his head. So let's talk about the radio station in Ecuador. It was 1931, and it was time for Paul to ship the radio equipment to Quito along with himself. Okay, There was a total of 33 boxes that weighed 6,400 pounds. And all but one box successfully made it to Ecuador. We'll talk about that one box in a little bit. But um, part of the packing materials that Paul, I'm sorry, Clarence used were improvised. For example, his mother's old velvet drapes. I wonder if his mother knew that he had used her old velvet drapes for packing material. Uh, did she later on go up to the attic to retrieve those drapes for something and notice the box was missing? <laughs> Have to wonder. Well, um, the one box that was missing that didn't make it contained their spare radio tubes which they could get by with as long as nothing in the other boxes 
that contained radio tubes had broken, but if there was anything wrong with one of the radio tubes, this could be devastating. And, of course, they could order some more radio tubes if they had the funding, but it would take forever to get them to Ecuador. It wasn't a simple a simple task. You know, sometimes shipping can take a long time nowadays. Just think about it before they had the uh, all the uh, expedited shipping <laughs> that they do uh, now. I mean, it would be... If I recall, it, they were talking about it probably being at least six weeks before they could get replacement parts. Now, Clarence and his team had set a goal that they would be on the air by Christmas. And when it came time to stretch the radio antenna, they ran into a problem. Okay, so the smart part was they used eucalyptus poles and high-quality wire that was cut to the exact length they needed. And everything was great until they got ready to put the wire in place. Now, they had pulleys on those poles so they could stretch the wire across the pulleys. But how were they going to get the wire up these really tall poles? Um, None of the men there were really in a position to be climbing poles. You know, probably either health-wise or just the physicality of it. However... It turned out that uh, their gardener had a young son named Pedro. And so they handed the wire and rope to Pedro, which he clenched in his teeth. You got, you can just so picture this kid in his shorts and his t-shirt. He puts the wire and everything in his teeth. And then he climbs up that uh, eucalyptus pole. <laughs> Going up there with that in his teeth, shimmied up that pole. You know how it is when you're a kid. You don't weigh much. It's easy to climb things. He shimmied up that pole, and he worked that wire and uh, worked the rope through there where they were able to get it across to the other pole and get it stretched. It all worked out. So I thought that was kind of neat, the kiddo uh, climbing up the pole and feeding the wire and rope through there. So again, again, guys, the Lord supplied. The Lord supplied. And, you know, we forget so many times the little things that the Lord supplies for us. It's easy to recognize the big things when money comes in to pay a bill or when a loved one is healed of some horrific disease. But we need to also be just as thankful for the little things that the Lord supplies in our everyday lives. So, they were getting everything set up. Uh, They needed a... They had a little trouble with the microphone, so Clarence took his mother's velvet drapes and used them to line a box to serve as the acoustic microphone. The velvet drapes were able to cancel out the noise that was causing problems. So I thought that was pretty neat, too, his, his mother's drapes coming to the rescue with acoustic issues. So Clarence and his co-workers were busy getting everything set up for the station, And then he got a wire, a telegram, that his wife had given birth to a new baby. So, at the same time they were giving birth to a radio station in Ecuador, his wife gave birth to a little baby. Then, uh, the station was just about ready to broadcast when one of the tubes blew. The radio tubes, the ones they didn't have any replacements for. And... You know, they just didn't have radio in Ecuador at that time. That's one of the reasons why the Lord wanted them to establish a station there. And there was only one person in all of Ecuador that they knew of that might have a replacement radio tube. He was a ham radio operator six hours away, and his name was 
uh, Senor Cordovas. And so Clarence goes and gets in the car and he says, guys, I'll be back as soon as I can. I'm going to go see uh, Senor Cordovas. And so Clarence heads out. He knocks on the door. Senor Cordovas opens the door. Clarence explains the situation and he says, do you have any spare radio tubes that you could loan to us? And he said, no, sir, I don't. But he said, come in. He said, I'll give you my radio tube to use until your replacements come in. Now, that's a big deal. This is this guy's connection to the world here. And he is willing to take out one of the key pieces, which totally rendered him disconnected, and hand it over to uh, Clarence. Well, Clarence took it so grateful for this, so grateful for this, and rode back to the radio station six hours away with it carefully wrapped, probably in his mother's velvet drapes again, but carefully wrapped up and on the front seat so it wouldn't be damaged. Now it was time to get the next phase of their plan in motion. They had successfully reached uh, Quito and some of the outlying areas, so now they wanted to reach Ecuador and some of the neighboring countries. So their new transmitter was designed and built by their own radio uh, engineer, who was also an Ecuadorian. And it didn't just reach Ecuador, but this new radio station, or new radio transmitter, reached a good part of South and Central America and had a total of 90 million listeners. And it turned out that building a radio station in Ecuador where they built it was actually the ideal place for long-range broadcasting. Last week, we talked about the day that Clarence stopped by and talked to some U.S. government experts on radio about where the best place to build a radio station in Ecuador was. And if you recall, they said, well, that's the worst place in the world to build a radio station. There's too many minerals in the ground, especially iron, that can cause problems, and you have those mountains. Well, they were wrong. Because the city of Quito was so high up in altitude that it basically boosted the antenna to an even greater altitude where they got excellent long-range broadcasting capabilities. Now, then there was a new opportunity to get a transmitter that would reach all, not just part, but all of South and Central America through some interesting intervention from the Lord. And one of the benefactors of this was R.G. Letourneau. Now, I live in East Texas in uh, not too far, not too terribly far away is Letourneau University, which was founded by R.G. Letourneau. And so he was a very sharp, very astute Christian businessman. And he was able to uh, help Clarence and his group. Not only did he supply them with some of the funds that they needed, but he gave them space in his manufacturing plant to build a transmitter. Now, what happened was uh, Clarence and his, his comrades, they heard about a transmitter that was being, a used transmitter that was being put up for sale in the U.S. Um, that was sounded perfect for their needs. And so... Clarence was sent to the U.S. to buy it. That's where he first encountered Letourneau. Letourneau helped him get the balance amount needed to purchase the transmitter. Then Clarence gets there, and he's, he has this strong feeling in his heart that he shouldn't sign the paperwork. 
And he'd served the Lord long enough to know that you listened to the Lord. And he said, gentlemen, I am very sorry, but I do not feel free to sign this paperwork. I'm sorry for the inconvenience and the trouble I put you to, but I cannot buy this transmitter. So um, he contacts Letourneau, and Letourneau said, well, you know, what if you wanted to build your own transmitter? Well, it turned out during this time period that some young men that were very interested in radio and were supportive of this radio ministry had gone to check out the transmitter themselves, and they found it to be basically a piece of junk. It wasn't worth what it was being sold for. It was not compatible with the latest technology and would not be able to be upgraded. And when Clarence felt that imp- felt that guidance not to buy it, he had no idea about this. He learned this after the fact. And so he and Letourneau talked. And Clarence hired these two young men to design him a new transmitter. Letourneau set aside room in his manufacturing uh facilities for them to get it built and that's how it that's how it came about now another new advancement that came along with this was being able to broadcast pre-recorded transmission uh, pre-recorded programs there was a minister by the name of charles fuller and he had a radio program that many 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 years ago was well known it was called the old-fashioned gospel hour i'm sorry the old-fashioned revival hour And he felt the Lord was leading him to begin broadcasting on radio. And he contacted contacted Clarence and said, Listen, this is what the Lord has put on my heart. If I send you a phonograph and some records, will you play some of my messages on your radio station? Clarence thought this was an excellent idea. And so he and... He and... um, Fuller split the cost of a phonograph, and then they were able to hook the phonograph equipment up with the radio equipment, and then they could do pre-recorded broadcasts. Okay, so, now, there was a lot of engineering and ingenuity that went into running HCJB, and this is one of my favorite stories out of this, from the perspective of being an engineer myself, Okay. Clarence is working in the radio booth, and one of the guys comes in, and he says, We got a problem, Clarence. One of the, Our antenna, which by this time they had some massive antennas. Our antenna is creating lightning and threatening to melt the equipment. Um, apparently there was a... Atmospheric conditions were perfect to create lightning between the antenna and the clouds. He said, We have music and lightning, and those do not make a good combination. And um, Clarence said, what can we do to fix it? And the engineer had tried everything. He said, listen, I'm going to go off for a few days. I'm going to work on this in peace and quiet, and I will come back with a solution. And so the guy goes off, the engineer. He comes back in a few days, and he says, okay, I got us a solution. Are you ready to hear this? This is our temporary solution until we can get the permanent solution in place. And Clarence said, you know, Tell me what it is. And he said, we're going to hang brass toilet floats from each end of the antenna. (laughs) Brass toilet floats. Well, that was actually perfect because um, it put an end to the lightning. They hung it off each end of the antenna and fixed the problem. But I can just imagine you have this really neat radio transmitter, this radio transmitting antenna, and it's all high tech, and then you see brass 
toilet floats hanging off the ends of the antenna. But it worked until they got their permanent solution. Alright, so let's talk about what happened at HCJB during World War II. So there were quite a few things that um, went on. First of all, in Ecuador there were Nazis. There were Nazi spies. There were uh, Nazis that held marches in front of the German ambassador's office. Um, German citizens that were holding these marches. German citizens in Ecuador. But the Ecuadorian people made it abundantly clear that they did not hold to the same ideals as the Nazis. And the marches stopped and the Nazis kind of went back into hiding, so to speak. So, that's one thing. During World War II, there was a lot of displaced um, that were not able to continue working because of the war, because of danger, because of uh, problems with just trying to receive supplies, and if not becoming uh, prisoners of war. So there were a lot of missionaries on furlough, a lot of missionaries that were displaced, and one of the places that was welcoming them with open arms was the HCJB headquarters because they were delighted to have missionaries come in and be a part of what they were doing, uh, to have them speak and teach and, and share. And so that's kind of neat. So we had these missionaries arriving at HCJB wanting to share things, uh, offering a variety of new languages. And what they didn't know at this time was exactly how far the radio broadcasts were reaching. Unbeknownst to HCJB, uh, they were reaching all the way to Japan, New Zealand, Germany, Russia, and even India with their radio broadcast. So they began to find out that there were people in these countries that were hearing their broadcasts. So they started doing special broadcasts. Uh, especially for the benefit of Allied soldiers. And then as they found out these other countries were able to hear the broadcast, well, it showed that it was perfect timing that these missionaries were available to start doing broadcast in languages other than English, Spanish, and the indigenous language. So now they had broadcast in they had broadcast in German, they had broadcast in, uh, done in um, Swedish, they had broadcasts that were done in... Um, Tagalog, all these different languages. And so many missionaries that had been forced out of their homes and countries made their way to HCJB and were able to contribute their knowledge, their skills, and their ministry and expand the number of languages that were on the radio station. And so they received uh, letters from, from, well, let me get, just give you an example. There was one example of a man that was in one of the occupied countries when an Allied plane flew over and dropped a radio receiver and said, you know, this is a gift from the Allies. We want you, your people to know that you've gotten it, and we are doing our best to help free your country, in essence. And so it was against the law to have a radio receiver, but he kept it hidden, and he was able to hear the broadcast from HCJB. And not only did it encourage him in the sense of his country not being forgotten, but encouraged him in the sense that he hadn't been forgotten by God either. And he shared his receiver in the broadcast with, um, with friends and family that could be trusted and more people were reached. And that's just one of thousands of stories that came out of World War II.
Now, um, radio broadcasting wasn't the only thing that Clarence was uh, actively involved in there in uh, Ecuador. He also worked with missionary Nate Saint to establish a hospital and medical care in some of the remote areas of Ecuador. Uh, If the name Nate Saint is familiar to you, there's good reason for that. Nate was one of the missionaries. Uh, He's one of the missionaries that was killed in an attack by uh, an indigenous people back in the 1960s. Uh, Nate Saint, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and a few others. The story was immortalized by Elizabeth Elliott in a book that she wrote about the circumstances in and around her husband, Nate's death, and their co-workers that also perished. Nate Saint was the pilot. Um, he was a member of the Missionary uh, Aviation Fellowship. And the plane was shot down when they, uh, not by, the plane was attacked not by guns, but by spears and arrows. There were spears that had just riddled the plane. Uh, and so, he Nate personally worked with Clarence trying to get a hospital set up, and they were able to do that. They did get a hospital uh, set up. Now, as the years went on, uh, of course, Clarence and his wife were growing older, and their health begins to be affected. And then in uh, in the 1960s, Clarence and his wife were involved in a very serious, serious car accident, Uh, left his wife in a coma for a very long time, They warned him that if she came out of the coma, she might be a vegetable. And Clarence refused to accept that doctor's diagnosis. And he began to pray. And, of course, the prayer request was put out over HCJB. And the Lord touched his wife that she was able to recover. She was hurt so badly, they were going to amputate both her legs. And yet the Lord intervened. She was able to retain the use of her legs. She was not a vegetable. She recovered. And she and Clarence kept Uh, kept working. Then in 1970, Clarence retired as the president of HCB, and then when they could no longer work in South America because of medical issues, they came back, I believe they came, if I recall correctly, they came back to the United States. Now, Clarence was a minister at heart. He was a missionary at heart. If you recall, um, when he was doing work, trying to keep his own family financially afloat while they were getting the radio station going during the Great Depression. If you recall, he used every opportunity he could to still spread the gospel. When he was teaching English uh, in the boys' school, he asked if he could use the Bible as the textbook. So that was a big driving force for Clarence. And so it's no wonder that when he retired, he didn't exactly retire, um, he continued to do everything he could to spread the gospel and encourage radio ministry, not just his own radio ministry. An example of his um, encouraging radio ministry, uh, HCJB was considered a threat in Russia by, you know, 1970s, 1980s, their Christian broadcast reached all the way to Russia. And Russia, communist Russia, did not like it. And so they set up a means of interfering or blocking HCJB's radio broadcast. When Clarence heard this, he said, well, hey, let's build an even bigger transmitter that will overcome their blockers. If these people want to hear the gospel that bad, let's make sure they can get it. 
So he continued to support radio ministries. He continued to preach. Um, when he could no longer travel all over the U.S., he held local Bible studies. And when he could no longer do that, he prayed. So Clarence, who was born again at the age of 16 while playing, uh, playing in a church uh, orchestra, spent the rest of his life working with every fiber of his being to further the spread of the gospel and to do so by using technology. And so he totally committed his life to the Lord. And he finally passed away in his sleep, April 29, 1986, at his home in Largo, Florida. Now, HCJB is still a radio station. The Voice of the Andes still exists. Uh, the ministry behind it, as far as I know, uh, still exists. But I think some of the interesting things that we can see here in Clarence's life, number one, we see a modern example of how a Christian can operate in faith. The Lord tells Clarence, go south with radio. There was nothing in South America that had to do with radio. There was, it, it was... Well, the Bible talks about faith is the evidence of things not seen. He believed that because the Lord told him to do this, that it was possible, that it would come to fruition. Even when the government, U.S. government officials told him, hey, that is the worst possible place to build a radio station. He knew the Lord told him to build it in Ecuador, and so he went forward because he believed God rather than man. He lived his life in faith. He believed the Lord would supply his needs, and the Lord did. He believed the Lord would supply the needs to keep the power running at the radio station, and the Lord did. And he was willing to be a part of the Lord's plan. If it meant he had to go out and get another job, then he would do it. So we see lived out a life of faith, a life of believing in God. When they threatened to amputate his wife's legs and told him if she wakes up, she'll be a vegetable, he chose to believe God and put his faith in God's power and not in the doctor's power. Yes, he wanted the best medical treatment he could get for his wife. But when the diagnosis was sad, when the diagnosis was negative, when the doctor said it was impossible, he knew that it was still possible through Jesus Christ. And so we see here a man who lived his life by faith. Was he perfect? No. Did he struggle? Yes. Were there scary times? Absolutely. But the Lord always supplied his need. And you remember when it came to him and he realized that the money he needed was not going to come from his supporters. It came from God. God might use his supporters. God might use other means. God might use miraculous means. But in the end, it all came from God. And that is where his faith rested. His faith didn't rest in the banks. His faith didn't rest in the economic structure of America during the Great Depression. His faith rested in God above. And because his faith rested in God, when the e economic structure of our world was shaken... 
His structure was not shaken. His radio station prospered. His radio station expanded. He may have had to mortgage the transmitter for a little while, but then he was able to buy it back and buy the land that it was on all during the Great Depression. And so this is an encouragement to us that the life of faith described in the Bible was not just for the Old Testament, was not just for the apostles' time, was not just for the times of our grandparents, but it is every bit as much a modern, a modern promise too. And so this is an excellent example of faith. And the second thing that I love about this story it's kind of like when we talked about the lady that was key part of the uh, Betty Green and the Missionary Aviation Fellowship. The Lord put on Betty's heart to take the new technology of airplanes and put it to use in missions. And then the Lord puts it on Clarence's heart to take this new technology of radio and find a way to put it to use for missions and spreading the gospel. And there were others that found out how to take television and use it to spread the gospel. And while in years later, some of those things may have been polluted, what new technology do we have today that we can use to help spread the gospel? The Lord does not mind using new technology. He can use it for his purposes. And so I just think this is all encouraging. It's exciting that the Lord can adapt technology to spread the gospel. It's exciting to wonder how he's going to do that next, to wonder what the next method is that the Lord will use to even spread the gospel further. So the two takeaways from this again are the life of faith is not just something relegated to the Bible, but it's something that can be lived out in this day and age. That if we have our faith in God, though the political structure of our nation may be shaken, the economic structure of our nation may be shaken, even the religious structure of our nation may be shaken, we do not have to be shaken because we choose to put our faith on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you got something out of this. Thank you for listening.